Olá pessoal, tudo bem? Welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. I'm your host, Aaron Stanley, and today I'm joined by a pair of special guests from Bitso, which is one of the largest and most established crypto platforms in Latin America. First off, we have Bitso CEO Daniel Vogel, and we also have Thales Freitas, who is the CEO of Bitso Brazil. Today, we're going to get a progress update on Bitso's efforts in Brazil specifically. We're going to discuss the road ahead in these somewhat difficult market conditions. And we're going to get a broader panorama view of the LATAM crypto uh, scene a bit more broadly. So Daniel and Talis, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining. Aaron, so so happy to be here. Um, it's, been, it's been a while. It's been almost, I guess, 10 months or so since we last saw each other in that crazy heat in, in Austin. Um, I remember well that interview because I think both of us left that um, that space drenched in sweat from from the heat. Um, but very nice to see you again and congrats on all the progress that you've made on uh, on the Brazil Crypto Report. It's an amazing. I think it's just it's I think it's like some of the best reporting that there is on Brazil. So very happy and excited to be here. I'm Daniel Vogel. I'm the CEO of Bitso. As you said, we operate uh, across Latin America. You know. Our vision is to basically be the main financial partner for everyone everywhere powered by crypto. We believe that, you know, crypto is enabling a world of borderless, secure uh, transactions that um, will enable a number of, you know, just activity around the around this digital economy that is growing. And we want to basically empower the region with universal access to, to crypto, to the digital economy, um, and we believe that this will enable a fairer monetary system. No? And so very, very happy to be here and give you a little bit of a progress report on, on where we are. Amazing. Yeah, thanks so much for coming back. Great to have you again. And Talis, you are a, a first-time guest, but a longtime friend of the show. So welcome. Um, you joined Bitso Brazil about a year ago, right? So we'd love to kind of get your background. How did you end up getting you know, sucked into the crypto rabbit hole? Awesome. So thank you so much for the opportunity to be here. Very happy. And as you said, no, you are a great friend of Bitso. And it's funny, when I started Bitso, right, it was about a year ago. So to be exact, it was April 18. And the first thing that Daniel sent me was this, okay, please subscribe to this newsletter because there's a lot of information about Brazil. Because as I told you before, I came from TradFi. So I was like, working and living in San Francisco and of course a lot of crypto enthusiasts in San Francisco in 2017 like I got like bugged by crypto and when I saw DeFi I said oh my god it's gonna take my job in five ten years because what I was just doing I was pretty much like selling fixed income to clients and like doing the old style on Bloomberg chats and phones and when I saw the potential of DeFi and how can you like just cut intermediaries? So, wow, this is amazing. So I had the opportunity to join Bitso last year. It has been an amazing ride, almost a year now. We saw the news yesterday, we got this IP license that's going to be a game changer for us here in Brazil and super excited what we have been done in Brazil and what's going coming like in the next few years. And yeah, it's been a Great. very pleasant ride. So let's let's start with the payments license because this was just in, uh, announced earlier this week. Why don't you tell tell us exactly what is this license and how does this impact your your business model in Brazil moving forward here? So yeah. be before I hand it over to Thales, just if we take a step back, right? Like you have this new technology, crypto. Well, maybe some people don't think it's very new, but you have this amazing technology, crypto, and then you have sort of like the financial reality of. Of, of folks that live across the world. And one of the things that we pride ourselves on is on making that connection, connecting what exists today with this new crypto realm. And so we see that as a big job that we do, basically building those bridges to allow people to seamlessly go from one world to the other world. And, um, and so in that journey, making sure that we are understanding the crypto world very well, but connecting ourselves to the financial world very well is very important. And that's why we're so excited about this license that I'll let uh, Thales explain you a little bit more about what it is and, uh, and why we're celebrating so much. Perfect. Yeah, thanks for that context. Go ahead, Thales. Tell us what this is all about. 
Yeah, so as you know, in Brazil, right, there's several kinds of licenses, but for fintechs, there are main two licenses, right? This IP, that Instituição de Pagamento, and also SCD. So B2, we applied for both. And yesterday, after, I would say, 30 months since we applied to this license, we got the IP license. That's a game changer for us. So with the IP license, as Daniel explained, we will be able to connect to be like this bridge between like the traditional financial system and, and crypto world. So we're going to pretty much like revamp the experience of offering like all those financial services by powered by crypto. So that's the vision and that's why it's super important. And it's a huge milestone. Of course, we have a lot of responsibility as well, now regulated. So, but in the end, it's going to legitimize more our business. As I told you last week, actually, we met last week in Sao Paulo, and I told you, like, the enthusiast of institutionals as well to use crypto. And this shows that Bitso is, like, in the right path here, becoming, like, regulated by the central bank with this, with this license. And also, all the regulation that was passed last year. So we think, like, crypto in Brazil has a huge room to work with institutions and people. So we have an exciting roadmap. Of course, we don't have all the details, but that's the idea that we can offer like financial service, but powered 100% powered by crypto. That's our DNA. I think the context is also very important, right? You, you have a context of um, companies that are in the crypto space that have sadly done very poorly. Um, you know, we have FT, the FTX meltdown, et cetera, et cetera. And I think we're seeing a clear trend of regulators who want to make sure that, you know, these these crypto companies that are sort of like a lot of them are based. No, no one knows where they're domiciled. Nobody knows where they're regulated. I th we see a clear trend from regulators to try and bring that in-house. And so this license in many ways is our commitment to the Brazilian market. Right. This is our commitment to. You know, getting a license in a, in Brazil is not an easy thing. You need to. You, there's significant disclosure. There's uh, there's there, there's all these processes that you need to have, uh, risks that you need to mitigate. There are there's technology that you need to build. There's officers that are based in country that need to basically be the face um, of 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 the company against our customers, against regulators, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so this is our commitment to basically bring confidence to the market that we're a serious player, that we're established in Brazil, we're domiciled here, we have regulated entities here. And, um, and as, and as Talia says, we think this is very important, especially given the current context of crypto. We have a ton of interest from institutional customers that have been coming into the crypto space, but obviously like news like FTX, it's not great for the, it's not great for the, for the industry. And so I think it's an, it's an important moment for more companies to take themselves very seriously, get closer to regulators, get uh, regulated, and, um, and work to make sure that we can really build this amazing, um, you know, this amazing future that a lot of us are enthusiasts about. And we believe in decentralization. We believe in self-custody. We believe in basically removing intermediaries, reducing costs, et cetera, et cetera. But, but we need to work with existing frameworks because, sadly, the, the industry has done quite some pain. And, you know, there were a lot of customers in Brazil that were hurt by FTX. And so I think this is, in, this is important context, you know, that, that will play, I think, over that we're seeing a lot of tension in the U.S., but we're also seeing tension in LATAM. And, uh, you know, Brazil, as Thales mentioned, has this, and you've covered this a lot, has had, the central bank has had, has been building this framework for crypto And we think that's very exciting because it'll bring confidence to consumers, but it'll also get companies to adhere to a good set of standards to basically operate uh, with a level field that will that will hopefully get this industry to just grow further. And, and we think that's very exciting. Yeah, and thank you for that context. And what I like about this is about this about this this license and this and this kind of and just the the you know the approach that you're talking about is. It, I think what what's in my view what differentiates Bitso from maybe other crypto exchanges is that there's really just like a focus on practical use cases and try. I mean, it's kind of your logo, right? Is making crypto useful, and it's it's really you're really trying to be more of like an integrated financial services company that uses crypto. It's it's not just like a typical exchange business model where we're going to just list a bunch of tokens, offer some leverage trading, and just kind of let it ride, right? Um, 
I guess my question would be, you know, in Brazil, you do have a very robust fintech ecosystem, and there are a lot of other entities that offer they're offering, you know, novel financial products and services, like some that involve crypto, some that don't. And I guess I would just be interested in getting, you know, I mean, I guess to whoever, or either of you or, or both of you, uh, how do you see kind of Bitso's product market fit in Brazil right now, or even, you know, over the course of 2023, just given some of the other innovation that we're seeing, um, you know, from some of the digital banks and you have other crypto platforms that are kind of coming in to make plays. And I guess the follow on question would be that to that would be, um, you know, what, what potential, what were some tangible products or services that might be unlocked due to this, this license, right? We have, you know, um, you know, like, you know, debit cards or asset tokenization or other types of things that are maybe, you know, you couldn't do now, I guess. So um, maybe Talos, you want to take a stab at that yeah. and then, and then Daniel jump in if uh, you want to follow up. No, yeah. So this is a very good question. And when I started Bitso, Daniel always told me, Talis, we're much more than exchange. So yes, like people, they come to crypto because of the potential of of the market. And also they like to some kind to speculate and buy and do it as an investment as well. But Daniel from day one, he said, look, our goal, as you said, we want to make crypto useful and be very intentional about the use cases. So here in Brazil, as I told you, we started like a year ago, so so we got some customers, but our volumes start increasing a lot when you start adding like new features, like stable coins that we see like a use case here, given like the volatility here and all the thing that's happening in the world. We see like companies, they say, look, maybe an easier way instead of like going to a bank and like executing a FX forward, they can just buy a stable coin as a natural head. To, to protect against like those fluctuations in the in the real against the dollars and also we launched like the euro as well we just did that and we see some companies with exposure to years doing that so this is like a case that we've seen companies doing as well another product that we launched last year was super excited and was like the bits of pay cross border so actually i'm wearing this t-shirt la bitconf argentina so i went last year there and was just in the week before La Bitcoin. And when we launched this product, it's pretty much like Brazilians that they have account at Bitso, they go to Argentina. As you know, they're like the QR codes are huge. It's like Pix here in Brazil. So you pretty much can scan this, this, this QR code and you can use our crypto to pay. And you get like a great exchange rate and also like very transparent fees and much cheaper than using maybe your card or even like what the people do, they go like to the Squivas, a place to exchange like actually cash and you have like this bag full of cash. So this product was amazing and this is made crypto useful because you are there and you know it's complicated paying Argentina and actually I went without credit cards, nothing, just with this product and I would say I pretty much survived. It was only one place like a cab they didn't have so I have my friend and we pay in cash, but they're pretty much like stay three days in Argentina using this technology paying with crypto. So this is super exciting. And and we have seen this use case, like both from institutional and also on this payment sites that you can move money around using this technology that, in my opinion, is much more useful and fast and incredible than the actual SWIFT system. Of course, in Brazil, have some challenges to do that compared like to Mexico, Colombia, other countries, but we still believe in this technology to make easier to move money around. Daniel, if you want to pick up from here. Yeah, look, I think I think it's very interesting what you mentioned, Aaron, because um, when you look at mostly mo- like many other places in the world, you basically have the exchanges playing um, or, or sort of these crypto players playing the role of servicing retail customers on the investment sort of angle of cryptocurrencies, right? And um, and that's actually quite different in Brazil because of what you mentioned. Like Brazil seems to be a place where all of these other fintech players, you know, uh, important companies like Nubank, Mercado Pago, they offer crypto buying and selling to their customers. Um, and we and, and you basically see all the big banks basically going into allowing uh, allowing retail customers to basically access this as well. Um, you know, she spends on that. We know the efforts of BTG, et cetera, et cetera. So from that perspective, it's kind of very unique Brazil 
because you're seeing that on the investment part of cryptocurrencies, a lot of players. And so that's why, you know, we're, we're quite excited about our institutional offering because we actually have partnered with a number of institutions in the country. Um, and we believe that we can be a great liquidity provider for a bunch of these institutions. And, we, and, and we're excited to be working with them. Um, and, a, and, and a very important part of our growth in the last year has actually come from institutional clients, right? Um, but then you have, you have this sort of like non-speculative use cases, which is sort of a little bit of what you were referring to earlier, right? Like what we, what, what we see the banks doing or, or sort of like the fintech players doing, well, banks and fintechs, it's basically, it's basically like allowing um, economic exposure to this technology, which, is, which has been one of the greatest use cases of crypto, right? Um, but these other things that Thales is talking about, like crypto for payments, you know, all the developments that you're seeing in Web3, NFTs, et cetera, et cetera, we see a big lag still, right? And so we've, we, we have been filling up a little bit of that void amongst with other players in the Brazil ecosystem um, for the folks that want to get more into crypto, Right. Um, the folks that want to do self-custody Bitcoin, the folks that want to use this for Web3, uh, whether it's buying NFTs or it's gaming or whatever it is. And so when, when I talked about the beginning about this sort of like bridge, as, as Thales mentioned, this, this license will enable us to build those bridges even more effectively. It'll allow us to build these bridges in a way that is significantly better interconnected with uh, the payment rails that already exist in country, peaks, et cetera, et cetera. But this is part of a broader vision that we have of money just kind of becoming borderless. Um, you know, we, 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 when, when we think about sort of what happens in, in, in the future, like we, we believe that the number of individuals that will be transacting digitally um, as well as a sort of like average number of digital transactions that people will do over the over the next ten years will just skyrocket, and we 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 see a very big trend on the world's economy kind of moving more and more towards being more digital, and 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 we just believe that the current financial infrastructure that exists is not really well placed to basically think of a world where payments are really global, borderless, instant, digital, trustless, um, you know, where, where folks, folks can transact across assets seamlessly. Um, where, and, and so anyways, we, we get really excited about that, right? Like the, the product that Thales is describing allows someone that is um, in, in Brazil to basically load up um, Brazilian reais go to Argentina and make a payment, a merchant payment, and basically get a quote in, in Brazilian reais. And it just uses crypto to sort of like bridge these borders, get liquidity of these assets. And you and, 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 and now the, the payment system in Brazil is completely connected to the payment system in Argentina. And we think that's amazing. And we don't only use this for ourselves. Like we're allowing institutions to actually build on top of this as well. And so we think like we, we really think that the financial system is getting rewritten on top of this technology. And we want to be we want to build all these bridges across uh, across the region uh, and then work with partners across the world to to do that more seamlessly. Like, um, you know, we've we have been working with with Circle um, on on allowing, you know, a better connection between the U.S. and Latam. And, um, and 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 we think we think of this as just sort of the natural evolution of of the world, and uh, and we get really quite excited about it. Yeah, and I like what you're saying there because it, it's it's it, we're almost kind of brushing up against like the limits of what you know traditional kind of fintechs you know in air quotes can can really do right where you can design all these kind of nice interfaces and these nice platforms or whatnot, but they're still running on legacy you know financial infrastructure basically so they're therefore you're, you're inherently limited as to like what you can actually do you know you're just kind of making the experience a little bit nicer or or making it easier to use which which there's value to that obviously but you're still kind of running this thing on top of the old you know the old plumbing system basically and then so when you get when you see a lot of these fintech companies coming into crypto it's really more of you know they're just crypto is sort of just kind of an add-on to like what you know the kind of their core business model was whereas where where you you guys are 
if I'm, you know, correct me if I'm explaining this incorrectly, but it seems like you're more of, you know, coming from the crypto native perspective and trying to almost become a fintech from, you know, or more of an integrated financial services platform, but coming from kind of more of the crypto native angle where we're, where the, the assumption or the thesis is that we need to sort of build all this stuff on top of essentially new, new infrastructure, not just reusing the old infrastructure. Am I, am I describing that correctly? Beautiful. I mean, that's a journey that we've been <laughs> in, right? Like w when we started the company on the very early days, um, you know, we were always super excited about these use cases, but then we kind of realized, holy smokes, there's all these other things that you need to build. So like a story that I haven't told much, but, you know, before Bitso, I actually tried to build a company. It used to be called Swaply to basically do remittances from the U.S. to Latam using Bitcoin. This is 2013, 2014. Very quickly, you found like, okay, there's no liquidity in the region, right? So you can't do this really at scale. There's no rails. There's no connection to the banking system. There's no connection to the financial realities of folks in the region. Uh, you know, there's no regulatory clarity. The list goes on and on and on. And so we, we, we kind of started fully crypto and, and been slowly getting into uh, making the existing world adopt to our ideas, Right. Um, and so that's why when we talk about like our vision being the main financial partner for everyone, everywhere powered by crypto, we talk about crypto because we think this is the, this is, this, this is our reason for being, um, uh, basically making sure that that crypto part is dead center to everything that we do. And we're excited because we see a bunch of stuff getting built in the crypto world. Um, and we just want to make sure that more and more people can connect to that and leverage that and benefit from that. Um, but, but, you know, we have a long road to go. Like it's going to be, it's going to be a, a, a long time until we really get this interconnectedness around the world, product services, regulators catch on. There are going to be battles um, embedded in here that we're, you know, we're seeing some of them already playing out in different parts of the world. Um, but I think the technology is incredible. And I think the value that we can build to customers is very clear. Customers that use like some of these products and services often come call us and say like, holy smokes, this, this felt like magic. Like I'd never been able to do a transaction between, you know, Mexico and Brazil so seamlessly quickly and at, at so low cost, like, wow, what the hell? This is amazing. And um, and I think that that, that that those are the type of things that like you know really push society forward, help create economic value, and um, and anyways, I could go on and on and on, but I think you get the gist and you described it very well. Yeah, and I think from coming from the kind of the, the gringo American vantage point, right? This is a use case that we tend to sort of inherently underappreciate, right? Because you know in the U.S. we all use dollars, and then when we go over abroad, it's it's you know you can just exchange dollars, look plenty of liquidity for dollars, right? Uh, but when you start moving into these other markets, it gets a little bit trickier, right? Sometimes the analogy I like to give, or a story I like to give to, you know, I guess some of my like normie friends or you know family members here is, is you know I can you know on WhatsApp I can instantly send a message to my family in Brazil or my friends in Brazil like instantaneously for free, you know, whereas 30 years ago that would have cost me you know who knows how much, right? But for me to send money to Brazil, uh, I mean even just like a year like 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 last summer. We had, you know, the, the easiest way we could actually get funds to Brazil was to like, you know, physically give the money to somebody who was flying there and then have to go and like, you know, go and tra you know, go and convert the money once they arrived. And it was because we had we had some sort of transfer service that got, you know, got like ended up getting, you know, disconnected or we got unbanked from it somehow. I'm not really sure what happened. But anyway, it's like there's still so much friction with this, with the kind of the cross-border use case or cross-border payments use case that I don't think. You know, kind of the, the you know, as Americans, we don't like fully appreciate like how important this stuff is. Um, so I'd like to, Daniel, I'd like to kind of get your thoughts here on, it's kind of switching gears here slightly. But we, I think last time we talked last summer, we, you know, we were talking quite a bit about the kind of your, you know, your gambit into the Brazilian market. You had built out Bitso quite substantially in some of the other large Latin American markets, uh, Argentina, Colombia, Mexico. Uh, Brazil was kind of like the, the new frontier for you. And, um, you know, you're about now you're about two years into this um, and you've you know obviously found Tales to, to help you in that mission. But just kind of we'd love to kind of get your thoughts on, like, how has this experience been? Like, has what, what have been sort of the, the, the ups and the downs and what has what has maybe been, you know, maybe like, 
you know, obviously the market conditions maybe haven't made things, uh, you know, super easy, <laughs> but like, but we just kind of love your thoughts on like, how has this experience been vis-a-vis some of the other markets you've, you've entered into and, um, you know, how, how would you sort of, you know, what's been, what, what's that been? Has it been worth the investment and all the energy and resources you've put into it? Thank you. I mean, um, I have absolutely loved this adventure. Um, I'm living right now in Sao Paulo. I've been living here for the last almost two years. Um, and I would say as a, as a company, it's been, it's been fascinating, right? Like Brazil is quite different in, in my opinion now, having been here for two years than the rest of Latin in so many ways, right? Like the most obvious that people talk about is like, well, you know, the language is different, but like, that's, that's really nothing. Like Brazil is in so many ways, shapes and form, like so, so ahead, right? Like we've had the pleasure of meeting with the governor of the central bank and just listening to his vision for payments and how crypto could play a role there. It's just, it's just fascinating. Right. And, and I, I didn't, I wasn't here before picks, but I have, but I, but I was here maybe like, I think, you know, in the first sort of like 18 months of its existence, maybe even a little before. And even just in the last two years, just the progress that you see on pigs in Brazil is just unparalleled to anything that I see every, everywhere else in Latam, right? Like, you know, one of the things that I found fascinating during sort of my first days in Brazil was... Um, you know, people do these things where when, when you're at like a stoplight, they put like candies or something on, on the, on the side mirrors of cars, um, to sell them to you. Right. The first time that I saw that, like you would just basically, I would see people sort of like taking it and giving bills very shortly after I started to see that people put the PICS telephone number on the candy itself, like a little sort of piece of paper that said, picks me here. And then, and then I went two weeks ago to the airport and on my way to the airport, I saw the same thing, but with the PIX QR code, right? Like the, like now you can just literally grab your phone, scan it and make the payment uh, instantly. This is like, this is someone on the street asking you to buy candy. You see this across Latam, but you don't see the payment, um, like the, the, the payment mechanism as like, in, like that. You don't see, you don't see it anywhere. The only other place in the world that I've actually seen this is China with sort of like a proliferation of digital payments. Um, but in China, privately owned, here ran by the central bank. Uh, the, the speed at which like fintech is growing at Brazil, the, the, the use cases, um, the ability for people to like adopt new technologies, like it's quite remarkable. Brazil is a fascinating, fascinating place. And, um, and for us, it's been like very, very interesting, right? Like we launched in 2021, we got to, uh, to, to our first million clients uh, within, within a year of doing that. In 2022, we tripled our volume in Brazil where sort of global volumes were kind of collapsing. And so it was, it was exciting for us to gain market share while we saw their other players, uh, you know, reducing market share. And so that was very, very exciting. We've seen like quite, a, quite an interesting adoption in stable coins. So like, um, you know, purchases of stable coins in 2022 grew by 85%. Um, and so, you know, and, and, and we're starting to experiment with some of the stuff that Tales talked about with sort of like, you know, borderless transactions, both for institutions, but also on the bits of pay stuff uh, that he talked about. Um, and then obviously like we, we have played a role in some of the in some of the regulatory some of the regulatory advances, right? Like we have we have teams in Brasilia that have been engaging in all of the creation of this law, and we're quite excited about that. And we're quite excited about Brazil just in general for for crypto. Um, that doesn't mean that there haven't been a bunch of downs, right? Like um, the the easy the 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 easy ones are. And come in, new country, new reality, trying to adapt, try to work really hard. Um, and some of the stuff you can't get right immediately. And so that's been that's been like hard at times to to really adapt to sort of a new like a new reality, new dynamic. Sometimes you build systems in a way and then you go to a place and like stuff just fundamentally functions different. And so your worldview kind of 
changes, but then you need to adapt systems. But in a more sort of fundamental way, I think you hit it on the nail. Like, um, it's been a challenging year for crypto, right? Like, uh, it's been a challenging year for crypto. And so you, we find ourselves in this new endeavor uh, that we're very optimistic about, and, um, but with a very difficult context for crypto just in general. And so, um, so that hasn't been easy to navigate. Um, but, you know, I think you've, I've, I think you've seen through our conversations that we have a long-term outlook on, the, on this being fundamental, a fundamental building block for the future. And, um, and our time horizons are long as a company. And so we, we are excited about continuing to build this out, work hard and bring these, uh, this technology use cases um, to, to Brazil. And so, um, anyways, it's been, I think it's been, it's been definitely challenging, interesting, fun. Um, and we remain very optimistic. Yeah. Talis, we'd love to get your perspective here too. Cause you joined, uh, right. It was, everything was kind of collapsing, right? So <laughs> around this time last year. So, no, uh, you know, the, the up only days are over apparently, but, uh, we'd love to kind of get your thoughts on this. I mean, what was, you know, did you ever have any moments where you're like, "Oh my gosh, what did I get myself into?" Or was this was this you know you're, you know it's it's a long term play, right? But there's there's a lot of short term pain involved. So I'd love to kind of hear how you've been you've been processing all this. What's been the highlights for you? No, yeah. So it's funny you asking this because when I moved to Bitso it was like April 18. I told you, and when I started like one month later, the market started crashing. So my friends from like my other shops, it tells you like a cold feet that to just join crypto and then the winter starting and say, wow, it's like bad luck. But I always tell them, and I went to New York like last year in October, I said, Thales, we're missing you here. I said, you know what? It's so much fun crypto and something I don't regret like one second because here, what we're building here, I always say is like build the internet in the 90s, what internet did to communications, I think crypto can do to the financial industry. So it's super exciting, to be honest. Like, yes, a lot of up and downs. It's super stressful, but in the end, it's a lot of fun. So it's super good. So what Daniel said is right. In my background, like, I always work, like, on the trading side as well. And we can't forget, like, Brazilians, they love trading. So different maybe from Argentina when the people, they seek, like, like, Cryptos sometimes like to protect against the devaluation of the peso. So stable coins adoption in Argentina is huge. In Brazil, as Daniel said, last year we have like an 85% increase, which is awesome. But I would say the Brazilians, maybe they think, okay, let me dollarize my assets, but maybe like 10 to 20 to 30%. It's not like Argentina that people try to do this like 100%. But Brazilians, they love to trade as well. And what I'm seeing like, we found a niche here in Brazil because we have a lot of like other platforms that you can trade. But the way that Bitso was built, like the technology, the UX made it so easily for like a regular person to open the app, super intuitive and really this experience is great. So we, what I did when I came here, we had like three pairs at this time. It was like Bitcoin, the basket of USD and also Ethereum, right? So right now we have more than 17 pairs in BRL. So Brazilians, they like to trade like against BRL. And also like the bid offer spread, that's super important. We have been shrinking this. And of course, we've been bringing a lot of market makers to the platform to increase liquidity and our clients they can get the best execution, the best pricing as well. So I talk a lot with market makers and they say, wow, it's so easy to integrate with our API and trade with Bitso compared to the other players here as well. So it's a huge advantage. So what we build the infrastructure is like world class. And I would say this year, like the liquidity at Bitso improved a lot. And clients, they notice this, that they can get a very good price, very fast and safe as well. So as Daniel said, it was a challenging year for crypto in general, but... Last year, you, you know, like one of the competitors, they have a problems with like the on-off ramps. This time, we like almost double our operation, like in, in two weeks. It was crazy. I remember like with Daniel, we we're talking a lot. Okay, how can we capture this? And it, it's amazing, like the amount of clients we got at this time. And now that you see like this big rallies in crypto, we see our volumes in retail just like tripling one day. So you see, there's a lot of interest. And actually, yesterday I was like celebrating the IP license with Daniel. 
we'll talk about like new people that never ask about crypto they're coming and asking again so i have like a very good friend paula she sent me a whatsapp tales on my crypto today can you help me so pretty much uh, like the interest is back so the trading is very important to us as well and and bits will make it very easily for like people that never touched crypto before to buy it as well yeah, I think that's an important point is, is you know, in crypto, uh, my one of my old editors at Coindesk used to always say, like, there's two seasons in crypto, there's drought and monsoon, right? So like, you have to be, you have to be ready for both, right? Um, and, um, and I think, you know, to some extent, like the name of the game of a crypto platform is always going to be tell us what like what you're talking about, where it's, it's just offering, you know, like enough liquidity and enough, you know, enough, like is, is the, the best pricing and the best kind of, uh, you know, trading pairs, that type of thing. And I think one of the, you know, really, it's, it seems like sort of the name of the game or the objective for, for other, you know, for, for platforms in Brazil and, and even worldwide at this point is really just trying to like carve some market share away from Binance at this stage, right? It's like, uh, especially with the collapse of FTX, it's kind of things have just kind of consolidated more. And, you know, I'm, now, on one hand, it's like, okay, there's, you have a lot of the whales that are using these larger platforms. And these are some, maybe some of the guys they don't necessarily want to be, they don't necessarily want like the Brazilian government to know what they're doing, perhaps. But on the other hand, like they're, it's just, it's a good product, right? And people want to use good products. Like they're getting the, they're getting the features they want. They're getting good pricing. They're getting, you know, good, uh, you know, there's sufficient yield or uh, liquidity on all these things. There's yield options, whatever. So I guess, you know, just kind of thinking ahead here, um, you know, one of the things I'm watching pretty closely for 2023 is in the Brazilian landscape, you kind of have, you know, you have, um, you know, kind of, you kind of have these, the offshore exchanges that are, are building new, new kind of on ramps into Brazil. Even this week we had Coinbase announcing, um, though, I mean, I don't, I, I think Coinbase is definitely trying to play sort of the, you know, the regulated sort of good cop game. Um, and then you have, you have all the fintechs, like the new banks and these guys that have really come onto the scene, you know, very quickly, just amass it. I mean, they already have a ton of users, obviously. Um, so it's pretty easy for them to, 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 to ramp, to, you know, to, to offer these, these products to their, their existing customers. And then you have um, kind of the class of, I guess, you know, sort of, you know, local exchanges or, or regional exchanges like yourselves who are, who are a bit more kind of market expertise, you know, really kind of focused on use cases that are really native to, to the region and, you know, but it seems like at the end of the day, like the name of the game is just trying to claw market share away from finance in some capacity. Right. So I just kind of like to get your thoughts on, you know, how how does, you know, there's sort of this, this triangle of, of players in the market, of stakeholders in the market. I would love to get your thoughts on just how does this, um, you know, how does this sort of market end up being divided over the next, you know, you know, say if, if we have 18 months, assuming until the next bull market run comes up. How does how does this market set? Uh, how do you see this kind of being divided up, or how do you see this pie being divided ultimately within Brazil? Um, and um, I guess whoever wants to take that question, a bit of a loaded one, but whoever wants to take it, go ahead. <laughs> I can take a stab. Um, it's a great question, right? And I think that the, the like one of the things that we enjoy about building in this industry is that like so much of it is new. So much like a lot of people are placing bets in different ways, shapes, and forms. And, um, and we have to wait to see whose bets were the real, the, the, the good ones, the ones that paid off. Um, we, we've never been a fan of, um, you know, we've never been a fan to try and say that our strategy is the best one. I think we, we have a set of core values that we believe in and that we try to build this company following that, 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 that set of core values, right? When we began the company, I think it was very clear for us that we didn't want to take any shortcuts. We wanted to build something that um, that we could go to sleep every night feeling good about ourselves and um, and make trying to make a big dent in in the world. And sometimes you feel great about that, right? Like when we saw the collapse of FTX and we learned about the fact that they weren't keeping assets one to one. They were like, you know, a significant portion of customer funds were in like a highly liquid currency that they had built themselves, um, that they were using that currency to finance operations, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you kind of feel really good and you say, holy smokes, like all these things that I've built over time to make sure that I'm monitoring balances, that I, I, there's not a discrepancy between my customer liabilities and uh, the assets that I hold, et cetera, et cetera. And you then see like these giants that haven't built any of those things. You go and you say, 
holy smokes, like what else is out there, right? Like how, how do you know? And like we, we, we need to build these things. We build these things, you know, a lot of, a lot of these capabilities before we were even regulated, but um, a lot of them are now regulatory requirements, right? Like basic transactional reconciliations, assets under man- re- like reconciliations of your assets under management. Um, the, the events of sort of FTX, I think, also push the industry forward. So we're working hard on a proof of solvency, um, a cryptographic privacy preserving proof of, of solvency where we're proving that our assets are more than our liabilities. We've already done a liabilities report that we're publishing um, for, for clients, but now we're working on the, on the assets side. And we're quite excited. We're partnering there with a company called Proven that is building this out uh, through zero knowledge proofs. And, um, and anyways, that's a whole other topic that we can discuss. Um, but we feel really good about these things, right? And then sometimes you feel like your strategy is not the right one, right? You see these other cost, these other cla- these other uh, platforms that have not cared about regulation, have not engaged with regulators, not, and they're like, well, the rules aren't clear, and this is our path to growth, and they're growing, right? And their focus is uh, a lot on product, and uh, and they're not getting distracted by some of the things that we've gotten ourselves distracted with, like um, you know, making sure that we have proper KYC, AML policies, that we monitor the transactions of our clients, et cetera, et cetera. And, and our bet is that ultimately, um, you know, players that, that, were, that began in a non-regulated world will have a really hard time to basically conform to new regulation that's being issued. Um, we might be wrong. We might get this wrong, right? Like we might see the finances of the world figure out how on earth they get themselves regulated. Um, and, um, and we might be right, right? Like you see, you start to see the action that you're, that we're seeing in the U S which has been the global watchdog for, for a lot of these things for a really long time. And you kind of sit there and say, you know, I feel really great that, uh, how, how we've built this company. Um, and, um, but you, you know, I don't know, it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. So then, so that's yeah, just think- sort of what happened. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to chime in here really quick. I, I mean, I, I was listening to a, an, uh, an episode of the Bankless podcast uh, a week or so ago with with they were interviewing Brian Armstrong, and they kind of posed the same question to him about uh, about Sam Bankman Fried. They were kind of asking Brian, like, "Well, how did you know? Like, you've been building this thing for ten years, and all of a sudden, SBF just sort of shows up, and he's like, you know, partying around the world, and he's a celebrity, and he, like, how did that make you feel? Right? They were asking me. Brian's more of like a introverted guy right so he's not the not quite not quite the the pomp and circumstance guy but he you know and he admitted candidly he's like yeah like i i, I was like like how, what am i am i doing this wrong <laughs> like what's going on here you know and so i think it's you know as uh you know as somebody who's really trying to build and you're trying to kind of you know not cut corners and do things the right way and all of a sudden this other guy shows up and he's just eating your lunch and you're like what's going on here it's it's I can imagine that'd be a pretty tough position as a as a founder where you're like, wait a minute, am I am I doing this all wrong? Uh, but anyway, I just wanted to interject there. But um, you know, with sorry if I you know, Talis, do you want to maybe maybe chime in as well? Uh, or just, Daniel, just finish. Yeah, and, yeah. and this is a commitment to customers, right? Like ultimately, the reason why we build this way is because we we have a commitment to customers to do things right. Like you know, Bitso grew quite a bit before we were regulated. And a lot of people ask me the question of like, how the hell did you get people to trust you, right? Um, and and it's a really good question, right? Like we we had millions of customers, like we had uh, you know ton of their money in the platform, et cetera, et cetera. And um, and we have some basic principles that sometimes as a company you live better by them. Sometimes you realize, okay, I need to invest more time in living better by them. Um, but 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 these are important principles, no? And um, and and yeah, like there's there's obviously self doubt at times when you go and you see these other companies that are growing faster. They were built after you, et cetera, et cetera. But I think I think at the end of the day, that you, you know, I don't want anyone in the company to ever have to go to jail. I don't want anyone in the company to ever think that we're doing something that's sketchy. Um, I want to make sure that we are always doing right by our customers. I want to make sure that our customers are front and center in everything that we do, that they're protected, that their funds are protected. And sometimes like that actually means like operational continuity, right? Like I don't, I don't know when someone who is a client of Bitso will need their re I'm no one to decide 
Like I can't decide that for them. People have, people get married, people have kids, people need to want to make an investment, an emergency. And for, for me to be able to build a company where we can provide that like operational continuity is incredibly important. And this IP license that we're getting is gets us closer to making sure that we can have reliable products and services for our customers, right? We've seen some of these offshore exchanges left and right. They're doing all these crazy ways to like get money into the platform and out of the platform. And every now and then they lose their rails and customers get hurt. Um, and we don't want customers to get hurt, right? And so, I mean, it's challenging. The reality is that it's challenging. Like some, there are these events that you can't foresee. We saw a lot of great companies in the U.S. struggle with banking over the last two weeks as you know, the kind of like silver gates and signatures uh, in Silicon Valley banks started to melt away. But um, you know, sometimes it's really out of your hands. But, but, but our commitment is to do this right because we feel that ultimately that is doing right by our customers. It's not because I want to play by the rules or whatever. It's because we play by the rules because that's, we feel that's the right thing to do for our customers. That's, that's how we will build a long-lasting brand, that's how we will get regulators to engage with us. That's how we're going to be able to push this, um, th this whole industry forward, right? And I think we need to be very careful because we don't want to get regulators to over-regulate this. Or frankly, what we're seeing in the U.S. is a little bit sad with, you know, regulation by enforcement. Um, hopefully, we can have a nicer story in LATAM. But, but ultimately, if we want to see crypto grow and be successful... We cannot ignore that there are rules, there's regulation, there are frameworks, there are principles, there are standards that, you know, countries need to adhere to. And, um, and we want to make sure that, or, or our bet is that by being committed to those things from day one, we will actually help this industry um, continue to grow, sometimes at the expense of growing faster, um, taking clients that are riskier, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but but we'll see. I mean, like it's gonna be fun, Aaron. We have to sit here in eighteen months, and 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 you have to keep me honest. Maybe I got it all wrong, but that's at least the bet that we are that we're making. Yeah, and, and um, I'd like to kind of double click on on the on just what's been happening in the U.S. here, and and I'm not even sure if you guys have operations in the U.S. at all, or, or if it's just or, or if you have any licenses in the U.S. So it may not direct, affect you directly, but. I would love to like what's been kind of going through your minds as you've been seeing what's been happening in the U.S. I mean, obviously, there's this pretty coordinated attack on the industry. And it's, you know, it's obviously there's a lot of, you know, kind of global repercussions for some of that, particularly along lines of stable coins. Right. There's I mean, I don't have any inform inside information on this, but it feels like sort of USDC is is the next thing sort of in the in you know, has a target on its back, essentially. Um but how are you guys kind of processing all of this? And maybe does this does this give you any more confidence? Maybe that you're you're taking the right approach by like really focusing in on uh, on your on your efforts in Latin America. Just coming back on the last question, Brazil, the next eighteen months, everything that the central bank is doing with, with like the digital real. I know the last episode, you guys interviewed Paulo and João to talk about this was super fun. So. This is amazing what's going to happen in Brazil in the next 18 months when the central bank launched the CBDC and IPs and banks, like in the case IP like Bitso now that we have IP, we not saying that we're going to do it, but we could potentially issue our own stablecoin as well, backed by CBDC. So this is huge. And then we can like compete against those big institutions as well. So super exciting. And I think like this is going to change the landscape in Brazil. And about the competitors, yes, Daniel talked about a lot about Binance, FTX, what happened. And in Brazil, we have like those big banks that are helping actually us like to bring more retail to, to the market as well. But I think when they start like getting trading more assets and want to like a more trading and more seamless experience, they look players like Bitso as well. So I think like, the, all of this is super positive for the market. But then, Daniel, actually on the U.S., yeah, so, so, so in your U.S. question, Aaron, like, it's it's interesting, right? Like, the, the romantic way to sort of think about this is there's there's these four stages that people talk about, right? Um, you know, the famous first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. No? It, it seems to me like, you know, 
if that framing is is correct, like we're definitely in the then they fight you sort of uh, part of the of the story, you know. Um, to me, it seems like um, you know, frankly, what it looks like is you have these companies that you have two types of companies in the many, but anyways, there, there's companies that have been really pushing the regulatory envelope hardcore. You know, nobody knows where they're, you go to their terms of services. They're, they're, they don't tell you where they're, where, where they're based. Nobody really understands where they are. Some of them have disappeared. Some of them, you know, have been shut down. Some of them are still operating, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then you have these sort of companies that have actually tried to do things well. They've engaged with regulators. They've talked to them. They've asked questions, et cetera, et cetera. And we're starting to see, um, we, we've seen a bunch of action towards a bunch of these players throughout time. But now we're starting to see some action towards some of the players that have tried to play by the rules, if you want to call it that way. Rules that weren't existed for fr- because the frameworks didn't exist. And, and it's kind of sad, right? Like, I remember when the crypto space celebrated that Ethereum was not a security. Because um, someone at the SEC went out and said, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum are not securities. Ethereum started as a security, but then it sort of no longer a security. But now you have Gary Gensler saying, no, everything is a security except Bitcoin, right? And 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 the and the question in people's mind is, when is the SEC going to come out and say, no, no, everything is a security, including Bitcoin? And really, what is a security? And you have these cases like the case against Ripple. I think that's going to be an important case to set precedent in the United States. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't really have any commentary. What I understand is that people think this case could swing either way, but it's going to be important precedent in the US. And I think the whole crypto industry should be watching. Um, but it's been kind of sad looking at, you know, companies like Kraken and Coinbase getting slapped, uh, fined, uh, investigated, uh, slowed down by, by the SEC um, because... Because it really feels like this sort of like operation choke point that people have described. You know, we've seen the banks that bank crypto companies come under a lot of duress. And 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 the question is really like the, the question that's always on my mind is like, you know, this technology exists. It's out there and it's mathematics, right? Like it's just math. At the end of the day, proof of work, proof of stake. These are concepts that have been developed that are purely math. The consensus mechanisms that rely on math at the end of the day. And, um, and this technology can be used for a lot of good. And we've, we've talked about that. We've talked about use cases, giving people in that time access to stable coins. We've talked about cross-border transactions. We've talked about like a DeFi worlds that are emerging, that are building new economies and opportunities for individuals. Uh, we've talked about removing of intermediaries. We've talked about a bunch of stuff, right? Um, and, um, and it can also be used for bad stuff. We've seen them. We've seen the hackers that steal funds, the people who've, uh, you know, Binance has facilitated transactions in sanctioned countries. Like there's all of these also bad kind of like use cases that, that exist. And, um, and the question that I think we need to ask ourselves is what happens if you punish the good players? Well, at the end of the day, the, the bad players live in the cloud. They're everywhere and they're nowhere at the same time going to be really hard to shut it down. And so you're kind of like pushing this, um, you're, kind of, you're kind of like pushing away the people that want to build the bright future for the technology to go into other fields, but you're not going to push the evil people out. Like these people are making money, they're scamming people, they're doing all the bad stuff. And so you're going to kind of end up in a bad world where you don't get any of the amazing benefits from the technology and you get actually all the kind of like shitty thing about it, right? And so I think the question that regulators really need to ask themselves is, you know, no, how do I actually foster the amazingness uh, behind the technology, the good, the good things, right? Like if you read the Ripple case, one of the things that, 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 that's talked about there is like how amazing this ODL thing that they're doing with cross-border transactions across jurisdictions, right? Like you may think whatever you want about XRP being a security or not, or, you know, whether Ripple is centralized or not, but like, on the case, they actually talk about like how good the cross-border part of their business is. Um, and so like I think the question that regulators need to ask themselves is like, how do we how do we make sure that this gets elevated, that this is the focus, that we build a better financial system for the world, and not like 
you know, how do I, how do I hurt all the good players? Um, and, and ultimately, I think this is a matter of policy. And I think, you know, the same way that in the 90s we saw the Senate and Congress get involved into some of the regulation behind the Internet, my sense is that senators and Congress people, um, I don't know if, you, if that's a term, congressmen and congresswomen, uh, will, will basically have to get involved. And you're kind of seeing it, right? Like Jeremy Allaire sent a tweet yesterday, and he specifically tagged the Senate and the Congress. And the, or I believe it was the Congress and the White House. Um, and, and you're starting to sort of like get these players who are saying, hey, you're going to drive innovation away from the United States. And that can be hugely problematic for the United States. Um, and, and, and anyways, that, that's sort of my take. Um, I think the SEC needs to play a much smarter game going forward. And, um, and I'm sure that they, you know, now you have all these crazy sort of conspiracy theories that, you know, there's entrenched interest from the existing financial world that are pushing the SEC into regulating by enforcing enforcement and killing uh, the crypto industry in the United States and, and, and thereby around the world. I have no idea what to make of these claims, but, uh, you know, I, it, it doesn't seem like good policy to me. Yeah, it's 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 very it's it's I think you've you've nicely encapsulated the views of the industry. And I guess since you don't operate in the US, you can say these things maybe a little more freely than some of the other folks. But like, yeah, it's 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 a difficult situation. And I think it, it does sort of underscore the, you know, the importance of a market like Brazil. And you even saw this in the Coinbase news from this week, where they kind of officially announced that they're coming to Brazil. And they're like, look, like, the US is just not really a place we want to really excited about operating anymore and we want to go to some place that's a little more friendly um so i think we're definitely going to see quite a bit more momentum on this front of of, of even even you know last week like chris john carlo was in in uh in sao paulo he was meeting with a bunch of local companies and he was even just mentioning look look like i've been telling all my clients to stay out of the u.s go to europe go to asia and uh now i'm now i'm telling them to come to brazil right it's, this is this looks like a good place to be um We've got just a couple of minutes left here. So um, maybe Talis, I can kick the last question to you. But I mean, what can we expect as far as just the, the Bitso Brazil roadmap for the next 12 months or so? You've talked a bit about some of the, you know, the the Heiau Digital, the, the, the CBDC components. Um, you know, what can we kind of expect coming out of uh, the Bitso roadmap here? Yeah, so I think like the 2022 was the year to Bitso to become like non and recognize to Brazilian as like uh, exchange that it's based here. As Daniel said, we made a huge investment here. We have more than a hundred collaborators in Brazil who are full time, so it's a huge commitment. So I think we got this, and people see Bitso as like a local this platform. And now I think it's this transition from like this only like exchange and speculated to this use case that we can make crypto useful and keep expanding our payment business and also give the option for persons to invest, to keep their coins safe and to have some exposure to stable coins, to dollars. So I think this year is going to start exploring and building like this bridge that now have our license. How can we connect like the traditional financial system? to crypto and this is very exciting and yes it's a long road it's kind of like we're restarting right now but the possibilities we have ahead is is just huge and and yeah the connection between bitsos as well so like all this latin connection as well like people that they have like relationships or companies with like argentina colombia and mexico that's a huge advantage that we have as well and for sure you're gonna explore that as well all right, Daniel, I'll give you the, the last word here. No, I mean, just thank you, Aaron. Um, thank you for having us here. Thank you for covering this fantastic market. I think as Thales mentions, it's a very dynamic market with players in the traditional space that want get to uh, get into it or are getting into it or have gotten into it, where you have a government that is paying a ton of attention, has a very big vision, uh, they're quite far ahead in their um, uh, in their CBDC, um, and they've delivered a payment system at scale called PIX, you know, in the last three years. So I think if there is a place to be watching is Brazil, 
And um, very, very excited to be building Bitso. We are very optimistic. And, um, and thank you for having us here. Yeah. Thanks so much, Aaron. It's been a pleasure. Amazing. Well, thank you both for, for joining. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we will see you with the next episode. Obrigado, everyone. And thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.